Who is our God? He is the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, the Holy One, Yahweh. He is a miracle-working God. Rumors of this man spread throughout the land. People of every background heard the stories. Some traveled from afar, desperate to encounter his power and be transformed by his compassion. He is a miracle-working God. The one who fed the 5,000, the one who heals the sick, the one who brings the dead to life, the deliverer, the protector, and provider. He is a miracle-working God. Miracles are what he does. They are who he is. Miracles are his nature. Amen. Amen, amen. We excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning. My name is Maddie Eccles. For those of you that I don't know, hi. Uh, I've been a part of this body for almost 15 years, which is crazy. Been serving here on staff in a bunch of different roles for the last decade, and I am honored to be here this morning. Well, I want to give some honor where honor is due. Lots of people in this house deserve it, but I'm going to sprinkle it on our kids ministry pillars and kids staff this morning. All right. I think they deserve it. I got two little tinies that are on the infant toddler wing. So I get to frequent that hall on Sunday mornings and see some pillars serving and loving. And then this past Sunday, I got to be the live Bible storyteller for threes and four-year-olds. It was invigorating. It prepped me for this morning and got to see some amazing moms and dads, high schoolers, young adults, empty nesters, middle schoolers, just loving on investing in and making disciples. That was so encouraging. Earlier this semester, I got to serve in the river, which is first, second, and third grade. And it was a powerful time in the end. Uh, they did the gospel presentation through a drama, had kiddos and adults in there doing it, then clearly presented what it meant to follow Jesus, give your life to Jesus. We had kids giving their life to Jesus. They got to pray for each other, hear God for one another, pray for the sick to be healed in that moment. And I left thinking, I love this church culture, that my family is being brought up in a potent discipleship culture. And so just wanted to give some honor. If you're a kids ministry pillar, if you're on kids staff, wave at us. We want to applaud you. Thank wave, big waves, big waves. I know it over there. So grateful. So grateful. All right. Well, speaking of kiddos, I wanted to show some pics of the fam. We don't have a recent decent pic of us all together. My bad. But coming up on the screen is my youngest, Harper. I mean, come on. We call her Hapudapu or Hapupu. And she's almost one, about a little over a week, she'll be one. And when uh, we had her, we felt like God said that she would be a Proverbs eleven twenty five woman, that he refreshes others. She who refreshes others will herself be refreshed. She'd be a gift. That's what she has been. Adore the snuggle bug. Next pick, you'll see my husband of four years, my California dreamboat. They like to call him Ryan Scott Eccles. And on his shoulders is our oldest, Hadley Jane Eccles, almost two and a half. And she's a little world changer, passionate fireball, and she's changing us in the glorious process. And we love her, and you will know her over the years. All right, so this is our family. All right, and so if you've been tracking with us over the summer, we have been in a series, Names and Nature of God. It has been awesome. I am the second to last week. Next week, we're bringing in the closer. 
Weston Nichols. Uh, he's going to preach with hair. So you want to be here to see that. It's going to be awesome. And so each week we've been in this series, we've been saying this statement, declaring this statement. We're going to get to do it all together. Three, two, one. Miracles. And all together in the Bible and in daily life reveal the awesome name and nature of God. He does miracles to show us who he is and how much he cares. When we read or experience the miraculous work of God, we will respond with increased faith and sincere worship. Amen, amen, amen. Well, why do we need a sermon series on the names and nature of God? For some of you in the room, you might be newer to your relationship with Jesus. Others might be kind of kicking the tires on the faith thing. And so maybe for the first time ever, you have been introduced to the reality that the Bible gives all these different names of who God is. So the content has felt fresh and stirring. Others of us who have been in and around church for a while, in and around the Bible, in and around Jesus, might know the different names of God, but you and I always need to grow in our revelation of his nature. And then we never arrive with God. We never do. And so we want with this sermon series for his names and his nature to go from our head into our heart. I love how Carl put it a couple weeks ago. He says that we might know God or know about God in our head, but might not experience him continually in our heart. We might not experience him in our emotions. We might not experience him in our day in and day out life, but we are wanting as a body for head knowledge to become heart revelation that then actually impacts our day in and day out experiences with God, with others, even with ourselves. I love how Ephesians 1 puts it. This is Paul to the church in Ephesus, verses 16 through 18. It says, I, Paul, do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and, re and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Amen, a beautiful prayer. So we want God's name, names and his nature to not just be a list that we know, but to be revelation in our heart so that we actually experience him Monday through Sunday. So we don't just wanna know that he is Jehovah Sidkenu. We don't just want to know that he is our righteousness, but we want to experience our true identity as sons and daughters on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday, so that we don't live in the sin and shame of our past. Amen? And we don't just want to know that he is Jehovah Shalom, that he is the God of peace, but we want to experience Jesus in such a way that we experience peace, that we experience the fact that he is sovereign and relaxed. And by being with him, we actually can become like him, a non-anxious presence in our home, in our workplaces, and in the world. We don't just want to know in our heads that he is Jehovah Nisi, our banner and our victory. 
But you and I, we want to have a heart revelation, a life experience at a, at a conviction level that we can go into every day knowing greater is he that is in me than any power that is in this world. We want head knowledge to become heart revelation that affects our life experience. And being a three on the Enneagram, I like to be rewarded. Anybody else like to be rewarded in the room? And one of the things I love about God is that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. I love it. Proverbs 25, 2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal things, but it is the glory of kings to search things out. I have also heard it say this way, that God is hidden to be found. And with a series like this, you and I get to be continual seekers of his nature. Hebrews eleven six says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We get to be those who know God continually. And as we know him, he rewards us. And the more that we know him, the more that we have revelation of his nature, the more we experience who he is, the more we are going to trust him, right? The more we know him, the more we experience his nature, the more we will trust him and entrust our lives to him continually, all right? So the name that we are exploring, discovering, or rediscovering for many of you today is Jehovah Rohi. The Lord is our shepherd. And the more that we talk about it, this name, this aspect of God requires of us to relinquish leadership to him, which thereby insists that we trust him. The more we know him through revelation and experience, the more that we will trust him. All right, so when you hear Jehovah Rohi, the Lord is our shepherd, what passage of scripture comes to mind? Psalms 23, right? All right, well, let's read it. Let's read it together. First service was highly participatory, so it's not a competition, but I'm sure there's some other threes in the room. All right, so Psalms 23, here we go. Read it with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Feeling good about God. All right, so this might not be true for all of you, but maybe for some of you, you might read certain passages of scripture uh, or even individual scriptures, and they remind you of a moment with God, 
a memory, a, a season that you might have, a certain person or relationship. And this is very true for me with Psalms 23. Psalms 23 brings to my mind a very vivid memory that when you read Psalms 23, you might think, oh, I bet this is going to be a peaceful memory where Maddie was probably in green pastures next to still waters. But the memory that comes to my mind was Psalms 23. It was a little bit the opposite. It is the, the birth of my firstborn, okay? Hadley, Jane, Eccles. So let me take you into that moment without being too gruesome. All right, as we talked about, she's a passionate kiddo. And so her delivery, uh, her grand entrance into this world was also passionate to say the least. And so about 39 and a half weeks, I was diagnosed with preeclampsia. And so I was immediately induced, put on medication that kind of slowed down the labor process. It was 30 glorious hours of labor uh, and then followed by this stubborn child's resistance to the birth canal. Uh, and so it was two to three hours of some quality pushing. And in that moment, I needed something of substance to speak out of my mouth so the child would come forth from the womb. All right. And of all the things that I could say, for some odd reason, Psalms 23 became the series of verses that I wouldn't say I quoted. I would say I screamed, yelled, and war cried out of my mouth for two to three hours. Eventually, Hadley decided that she would come out. My head was not anointed with oil, but some serious sweat. And now we have a glorious, passionate, strong-willed child, and we love her. So hopefully I didn't ruin Psalms 23 for you, but anytime I read it, that's, that's the memory that comes to mind. So again, don't know if you have a memory of Psalm 23, but I do know that all of us in this room have a collective affection for Psalms 23. The reason I know that is Bible Gateway, which is where we all search for our scriptures, um, has a year in review. And consistently on the year in review, the most sought out passage is... Psalms 23. What's also awesome, they have kind of their top 20 individual scriptures. Of the top 20 individual scriptures, these six verses out of Psalms 23 are in the top 20. So we all love Psalms 23. Not only is it famous for us, but it's also the concept of sheep shepherd is biblically famous. Thank you to Tim Keller's study. Um, around 100 times, God relates himself to being a shepherd. 100 times throughout scripture, God relates himself to being a shepherd. Around 400 times in scripture, you and I are related to being sheep. To being sheep. All right, y'all ready to, to become really participatory? Uh, we are going to practice bleating like sheep. All right, we're going to be silly in the house of God this morning. I will demonstrate, then you will turn to your neighbor. This is not the only time in the service you'll be bleating. All right, so here we go. I'll demonstrate, then you will participate. I'll do it one more time. Turn to your neighbor and bleat. Fantastic. I love it. Very good, very good. 
So we might not know a lot about a sheep shepherd dynamic, but what we do know about Psalms 23, it was written by David. David, before he was king of Israel, was an authentic shepherd, a really good shepherd. Actually, Psalms, I mean, 1 Samuel 17 talks about how David would actually wrestle lions and bears to the ground, kill them in order to protect his sheep. Uh, But David was not a perfect shepherd. We all know that if you know the Bible. But from the lineage of David came our perfect shepherd, whose name is? Jesus. Good job, everybody. And Jesus declares himself as the good shepherd in John chapter 10. We're going to be spending a lot of time in John 10 this morning. Verse 11, Jesus says to a group of rowdy Pharisees, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Later in 1 Peter 5, Jesus calls himself the chief shepherd. In Hebrews 13, he says he's the great shepherd of the sheep. So it's clear that Jesus is the shepherd and we are the sheep. But you and I don't really understand the dynamic between sheep and shepherds. Because how many of us have ever had the career of being an authentic shepherd of a sheep? Probably not. So we have in our mind the Sunday school picture of a handsome shepherd cuddled up with a fluffy white sheep. But that's not reality. Let me paint it for you to make you feel really good about yourself. Sheep, in my research, I have found kind of three broad descriptions for them. Remind you, you and I are called this 400 times in Scripture. Defenseless, stubborn, and foolish defenseless, stubborn, and foolish. Let me put up here an article from several years back, some sheep in Turkey. Um, Article, there it is. Um, So this is 1,500 sheep prone to wander, uh, wandered off a cliff. The first 400 basically died and became the pillow for the remaining 1,100. (laughs) Foolish sheep prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, right? We feeling good? Feeling real good. Another thing about sheep, as I found this, as I studied, is sheep really need a shepherd to survive. Like really need a shepherd to survive. And so they'll go to a green pasture. They'll begin to eat in a little small spot. They'll eat, 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 eat all that green until they get to the dirt. They'll eat around that dirt until they make mud. And they need a shepherd to come and prod them away from the mud to a few feet over where there is more green grass to eat. Otherwise, they would starve in the, month, in the midst of a green pasture. Foolish animals. Also, they can, they'll wander off, be able to see the flock in the distance, but not have the intelligence to go back to the flock. They need a shepherd to go and rescue them and bring them back into the fold. All right, 400 times God uses this animal metaphor for you and I. He does love us. All right, a shepherd is loyal, sacrificial, and is known in scripture and in life as having some tools. Let me break these down for you. I'm going to read from another article, article about sheep and shepherd. The rod was used to fight off wild animals and to count the sheep and direct them. The rod prodded them during the day in the fields, prodded them to the green grass, 
and at night into the sheepfold. A willing sheep would respond to the prodding, but a stubborn, strong-willed sheep would not. While sheep might not be as dumb as often suggested, they do have characteristics that give some merit to that claim. They'll indiscriminately eat just about anything, regardless whether it's something that could harm or kill them. They endlessly wander, seemingly without direction, and many sheep stubbornly resist the shepherd's prodding. That's why the staff, when the crook at the end, is needed. The shepherd uses a staff to more strongly exert his authority and to gently but firmly pull the sheep back to the fold and to keep the sheep moving in the right direction. He can also use the crook of the staff to pull the sheep from harm or from a cliff that they think they should jump off of. All right, so here we are, sheep, shepherd, and its glorious reality. But this is a difficult reality for you and I to grasp because we don't really like to be known as weak and as in need of leadership here in the 21st century. We would rather be told, you're independent, you're strong, you're powerful, you're intelligent, you're efficient, you're wealthy. That's what we like to be. And I love how one Christian bishop and theologian put it this way. When you say, the Lord is my shepherd, no proper grounds are left for you to trust in yourself. Woo. When you say, the Lord is my shepherd, no proper grounds are left for you to trust in yourself. So when we say, Psalms 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, we are also accepting the reality that we are sheep. We're in, we are weak and in need of a leader. All right, another way to put it by another Christian thought leader is we like the sound of the Lord being our good shepherd, but we hate the truth of it. We like the sound of the Lord. It's, it's good and cozy. Uh, being, being, we like the sound of the Lord being our good shepherd, but we hate the truth of it. So for Jesus to be our shepherd, that means that he is our Lord. He is in charge of our lives. So that means we relinquish leadership to him. So he's in charge of our family. He's in charge of our finances. He's in charge of our future. He's in charge of our resources. He's in charge of our possessions. He is in charge. He holds the rod. He holds the staff. And we come up under his leadership. But there's something in our sinful human nature that likes to resist the idea of being under the leadership or authority of another. We've become somewhat skeptical and we often object whenever somebody tries to push us in a direction that we don't necessarily think that we should go or have to go. Now, as a mother of a strong-willed, passionate two-and-a-half-year-old, I get to see our human sinful nature on display quite often. And I have been able to see very naturally resistance to boundaries, resistance to discipline, and a resistance to authority. Let me take you into the Eccles home. Okay, so right now with Hadley Wadley, we are continually working on gentleness. All right, so she's got a little sister, so we got ample opportunity to practice being gentle. 
So with Hadley, one of our things is you don't harm or you're not rough with Harper. Anytime that I see Hadley begin to put her hand on Harper's head or Harper's face, I know where this is going. So this happens a lot. She'll put her hand on Harper's head and I'll say, Hadley, we are gentle. And she will look at me with defiant blazing eyes and shove her sister straight to the ground in sheer defiance. So what unfolds from there is immediate discipline of Hadley. Then a meltdown happens. It can last anywhere from five to 45 minutes. We'll go to the couch, begin to have a conversation after she's calmed down. Hey, we do not shove our sister. We are gentle. We practice being gentle. And then we hug and kiss. We tell Harper that we love her. We apologize. And then we do what we always do, and that is reset. Let me tell you, God has given us the belly button as a form to reset. So on the couch, Hadley, me, we lift up Hadley's shirt, obviously not going to show now because I would get fired and y'all be uncomfortable. But we lift up Hadley, she pushes her belly button, lifts up my shirt, she pushes mine, we push each other's, we shake off our attitude, grab some gratitude, and 10 minutes later, do it all over again. So... So this is the thing. Nobody has set Hadley down and said, hey, this is, this is how you be defiant or this is how you resist discipline. Nobody has done that. We are trying to do the opposite, but she's got a nature, all right? She wants to resist and to be quite honest, you and I often act like two and a half year olds. Yeah, you understand. We often act like two and a half year olds. We resist boundaries. We want to avoid God's rod and take hold of our own staff and lead our lives, right? We do not like being told no. We don't like boundaries. We don't like having to live a narrow life. We want to be able to spend our money the way we want to spend our money. We want to do what we want to do. We want to watch what we want to watch. We want to be friends with who we want to be friends with. We want to be who we want to be because we want to lead. We want to lead our own lives. Right now, an anthem verse for me is out of Psalm 16 because God's showing me you are resistant. The boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. But oftentimes, our understanding our, our understanding of God's discipline, his boundaries, even his protection is warped because we have a marred understanding, a marred knowledge of his nature, right? We're stuck sometimes in what is in our head that has not yet become revelation in our heart, especially when we don't get what we want when we want it, as opposed to the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, we'll oftentimes get mad at God, mad at others, take the staff and try and take control. Yeah. Now, what I have seen in my own life and in the scope of the people that I walk, that I've walked with over the years is that our route to, hit, to resistance to his leadership is kind of in two broad camps. See if this is true for your own life. One of those being our unwillingness to continually surrender and submit our will to Jesus. See that word, continually surrender and submit our will to Jesus. Secondly, trust issues 
that we have with God. At our core, we are not sure that he is good and he is for our good. Does any of that sit with any sheep in the room? All right, going back to the sheep-shepherd dynamic. Good sheep submit to the shepherd. They listen and they obey. As it talks about in John 10, they hear the voice of the shepherd and they follow. The good sheep trust that trust the heart of their shepherd. They trust that he is there to protect them, lead them, cover them, love them. Therefore, they stay close to him. When he prods, they respond. A good shepherd knows that a sheep left isolated or a sheep that wanders is a quick victim to a predator. So a good shepherd is incredibly intentional to pursue and bring back sheep to the fold. All right, looking at a biblical example of God's heart for us when it comes to boundaries and discipline, Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11. Chunk of scripture here. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises, corrects, every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Amen. Now here, I'm not trying to make the claim that everything hard or painful is discipline from God. But I do believe that our shepherd is able to use anything that is hard or painful to draw us closer to him and closer to each other. Now, back in my college years, I would say that those years were when God really helped me experience his nature, right? It's one thing to know that God is kind. It's one thing to know that he is good. It's one thing to know that he provides. It's one thing to know that he heals. It's another thing to experience his nature. You know what I'm talking about? And so I feel like that was kind of my college years and, and more. But one summer, I feel like God kind of put the target on his goodness, and he really wanted me to experience his goodness. And so I was given this YouTube clip, 20-minute YouTube clip, by a guy named Graham Cook. Anybody familiar with Graham Cook? He is a famous prophetic voice in the UK. And it's 20 minutes of beautiful instrumental music with a British voice, of 100 different scriptures that tell in 100 different ways that God is good and God does good. Right? Something about a British voice, it really helps the head move to the heart. Um, but I remember this summer, it's like God was saying, hey, I want to take what's been in your head. And through renewal, I want it to become revelation that's in your heart so that you start experiencing my goodness. 
So I remember that every day that summer, I would go on runs, go on drives, almost had the 20-minute clip memorized because I was so saturated in that renewal of his goodness. That By the end of that summer, I would wake up in the morning and expect to encounter the goodness of God. Like I would expect to, for God to show me his goodness through an individual interaction, through something that was painful, through a relationship with my family, with my future. It's like all of a sudden I was eager to experience his goodness because the Holy Spirit had taken head knowledge, made it heart revelation, and I expected it to be my experience. Now, there's a lot of ways to build trust with God, but I believe one of them is through mind renewal. And God has given us the gift of his word to help us put really to put truth between our ears so the Holy Spirit has fuel to make it revelation in our hearts so that you and I experience him, like we experience his nature. So if you've been around Antioch for a long amount of time, you've seen Jimmy put the Bible on his head. How many of you have seen the Bible on the head? All right, he put the Bible on his head and he'll walk around the stage and talk about how this is what we ultimately submit to, right? What's in this book is true. And we want what is in this book to become how we think and how we live and what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about others. So we've taken this to another level of the Eccles home with our little family discipleships. So in the mornings with our family devos, which are incredibly comical, um, I'll ask Hadley, Hadley, where does the Bible go? She'll go, it goes on your head. And I'll say, you're right. The Bible goes on your head. So we'll all take turns going Harper's head, mama's head, Hadley's head. And I'll tell her, okay, so why does the Bible go on our head? It teaches us how to think. That's right. The Bible teaches us how to think because we need what's in here to move from head knowledge to heart revelation so that it becomes our experience. And you and I, we need to trust Jesus continually. We need to trust that his intentions as our shepherd are good. And as we renew our mind in truth, that trust is going to be built and we will more naturally entrust ourselves to his leadership all the days of our lives. Because the more we know him through revelation and experience, the more we will trust him. All right. How are we doing in the room? I think we need a bleat break. So turn to your neighbor. Let's do another round of bleeding. <laughs> Love it up there. Love it up there. All right, so kind of last chunk of this message, we are gonna talk about why we should trust Jesus. I love that we went to the chorus during worship. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Where are my hymn people? The Baptists in the room? Nobody? Just me. Okay, a few people. All right, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Okay, we're gonna talk about one thing, one, one aspect that Jesus is not, and then one characteristic that he is, and then we're gonna bring it to a close here. In John 10, going back to John 10, Jesus says that he is not a hired hand. All right, let's go there. John 10, 11 through 13. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. 
And he, the hired hand, flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. All right, I want to reiterate, Jesus is not a hired hand. When a wolf comes, when things get scary or painful in our life, Jesus is not going to abandon us. Jesus is not going to flee when things get challenging, difficult, confusing, daunting. Jesus is with us. He's not a hired hand. Psalms 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Say it with me. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. Isaiah 43, 1 through 2. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame will not consume you. Jesus is with us. And this is the biggest point that I feel like I want to drive home this morning, is that Jesus is not like us. Jesus is the chief shepherd. We are the sheep. Jesus is not like us sheep. This is great news. Jesus is in a league of his own, which is why we worship him. Hebrews talks about how Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's unchanging. He's holy and perfect and for us in kind. It's who he is. But sheep, sheep hurt other sheep. Sheep disappoint. Sheep abandon. Sheep bite. Sheep are angry, sheep are rude, sheep offend, sheep abandon. That's not who Jesus is. But oftentimes we'll have interactions, experiences, history with other sheep, and we'll think, oh, because they hurt, offended, abandoned, disappointed me, Jesus is probably going to do the same. Right? So let me share this example, a very trivial example for I know the pain that is in the room because sheep can cause serious pain. So several years ago, Ryan and I were dating. I was ready to marry him. He was not yet there. Uh, We had spent a summer together in Peru, leading serving college students. At the end of the summer, my family came over and we got to do a trip to Machu Picchu. It was awesome. And we had a lot of conversations that summer, made a lot of headway, all the things. We're having us another conversation when we were hiking up to the Sun Gate, which is a viewpoint that shows all of Machu Picchu. And in this, he began to share with me one of his past relationships, past past relationships about this girl who's a complete idiot that um, rejected him. I am so thankful for her stupidity. Um, But this girl, they were dating and she just, she just decided she was done and kind of in an abrupt way just ended things. And it hurt Ryan. It really hurt him. And he kind of carried that pain. And I remember he's telling this to me, and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get pretty defensive internally. I'm like, I, in our dating relationship, I have really tried to be incredibly intentional to build trust, to be kind, to, to be loyal, to all these different things. And I'm like, it's not fair that you're holding me accountable for the pain of that sheep. You know what I mean? 
So does that sit with anybody in the room, right? We all like sheep have gone astray, all these different things. But again, to reiterate, Jesus is not like us. And the beauty of his kingdom, how he set it all up is, yes, we get bit by sheep, but we get healed by proximity with the shepherd. Right, it is in proximity with the shepherd that we get healed from our own wounds and from the wounds of others. And then the beauty of how Jesus set it up, he puts us right back in the fold. He doesn't say, oh, that's painful. Okay, you don't have to deal with people anymore. He says, no, I'm gonna plop you right back in the fold and I'm gonna teach you how to love them, to be like them, to need me more, to shine. I mean, the greatest commandment that he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then love your neighbor as yourself. Our neighbors are sheep and they bite, but God has commanded us to love them and we get healed in proximity with the shepherd, amen? All right, so he's not a hired hand. He's a good, trustworthy shepherd. And one other characteristic that I wanna focus on out of John 10, there's so many great things you can focus on about Jesus, but it's that he is a rescuer that knows us fully and loves us completely. He is a rescuer that knows us fully. He knows everything about you and he loves you completely. John 10, Verses 14 and 15, Jesus again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. Jesus is a rescuer. He's a pursuer. He is chasing us, loving us. As it says in Psalms 23, six, his love and mercy will follow us all the days of our life, all the days of our life. I love a quote by Tim Keller. It says, to be loved, but not known is comforting, but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us, amen. The nature of our leader is that he's a rescuer that's committed to love us, pursue us, and know us all the days of our life. And I wanna end with a story about one of my friends who if you would have told her when she was little that the love and mercy of God would chase after her all the days of her life, she would have laughed in your face. She's now a missionary in Southeast Asia, believe it or not, but she grew up in a broken home. Um, She had sheep as her mother and her father. And her dad, when she was very little, abandoned her, so she really didn't have a biological father. And then she, her mom got remarried, so she was adopted. And for about a decade, had a dad present, even though it was not God's perfect design. And at about the age of 12, her adopted father left her mother and her um, for a whole other family. 
And then within a year, her mom got pregnant with a third man. And uh, she was at the hospital for this other baby to be born um, and having to embrace the reality that yet again, rejection came knocking at her door. And so she's 13 and she's got her journal open. She's waiting for another one of her step, uh, step brothers to be born. And she's drawing out all these different families that she's been rejected from. And in the moment, which she would say she's contemplating suicidal thoughts, all these different things. In that moment, she has an open vision of God the Father stepping into the room with his arms as open as they possibly could be. And so she sees for the first time really what the love of God is supposed to be like for all of us. And in that moment, all of the rejection, all of the pain subside. And she says, that's who I want to be loved by. And that's who I want to follow. She ends up giving her life to Jesus at the age of 13, ends up at Baylor, goes through our college ministry, just gets saturated in the love of God, lived her life with the Bible on her head, gets transformed by God's nature. And then throughout this process of God pursuing her, his loving, his kindness, chasing after her, all of her family members eventually give their life to Jesus. And to this day are walking with God because God's committed to sheep. He's committed to us. And she's right now in Southeast Asia, laying her life down to see other sheep brought into the fold. And if you were to rub shoulders with her, she is one of the most joy-filled, free, liberated humans you will ever meet. She's convinced that she is being led by a good shepherd. Amen? Amen. So a couple weeks ago, if you were here, Carl gave a challenge to the 40 and above crowd. I won't make you wave your hands because I know sometimes age can be an insecurity. Um, but I'm going to give a challenge to the 40 and below. All right. So if you are 40 and below, stand on up to your feet. You will be joined shortly. 40 and below on your feet. So these are the years, my friends, when the foundation is being laid. 40 and below, you're making big decisions. Who is God? Who am I? What are gonna be my values, my career? How are we gonna do family? Where are we gonna live? How are we gonna spend money? 40 and below is big. My challenge for us in these years would be to be good sheep, to be really good sheep that focus on being led by the shepherd. Will we not be skeptical or resistant to the rod or the staff or his authority, but will we spend our days renewing our mind on truth that he is good and he does good? Would that be said of us? You are great sheep. God's gonna take care of the rest, amen? All right, so everybody else can join on your feet, all ages. And as we respond this morning, just wanna kinda ask the question, what do you need of the shepherd? We've talked through a lot of different characteristics of who he is. For some of you, you might've stepped outside of the reality that he is Lord. And today you wanna recommit your leadership to him and say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I don't want to be in charge anymore. Others of you, it's fuzzy. Is he really good? Does he really have my good in mind? Can I trust him? Is he good? 
Today might be the day that you need to come and say, Jesus, give me fresh revelation that you are good and I can trust you. Others of you need to be re-reminded that he's not gonna abandon you. You've been bit, hurt, and struck by sheep. And you need that vision with God's arms wide open, saying, hey, I'm gonna chase after and pursue you all the days of your life. He's a trustworthy, good shepherd. Amen? Amen. So if prayer teams can go ahead and make your ways forward. And lastly, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you never stepped into the fold, today would be the day. Oh, he's a glorious savior, a perfect shepherd. You've got to come to him. He'll wrap his arms around you, forgive you of your sin, and you'll enter into forever relationship with him. Maybe that's you today. So for whatever you want to respond to, whether in your seat or up here, God wants to meet with you. Will you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we do acknowledge you again today as the good, perfect, kind, trustworthy shepherd. And we just give you authority to lead our lives. We thank you that you're not a hired hand, that you're not gonna abandon us. We worship you as being in a league of your own. Oh, Jesus, we ask that today, what's in our head, the knowledge of who you are, would you make it heart revelation that is lived out in our experience with you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.